sa Alabao. It's the What's It All About show with your host, Al Roberts. Let's get ready to rumble! Welcome to the What's It All About MMA show, uh, episode 36. Hope everyone's keeping all right. Hope you're all all well. Um, yeah, this week, obviously, there's no fights this weekend. Really, we had um, a really good glory kickboxing event this week, and I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, so I can't really give my take on it. But um, this week's just yeah, we've got no fight card to review, we, so it's quite a simple show, really. Um, I'm going to be looking back at. Um, an event from 12 years ago, which had its anniversary on the 31st of January. Um, and that was UFC 94. This was one of the first big super fights of this era of MMA, basically. And that was GSP taking on BJ Penn. Um, I'm going to go into that event. It's a huge event. It was for me at the time. Um, we're going to really look into that and talk a, a lot about that event and where it led us to following that event, basically. I'm also going to have a little rant about um, general all-round fuckwit Jake Paul and him fighting Ben Askren in boxing. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll hold hold back for that one. And I'm also going to talk about, obviously, the dust has settled since sort of last weekend with the huge event that was UFC 257. I'm going to talk about, basically... Uh, how do I term it nicely? The delusion of John Kavanagh and Conor McGregor. And also the delusion of fan reactions I've seen this week as well. Um, I'm going to look in, look into that and talk a bit about that as well. Basically, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. apologies for last week's show. Um, it was it was quite lacklustre due to the fact of I was tired and I was also absolutely hungover to high health, if I'm being honest. Um, I'd watched uh, all the UFC 257 card on the Sunday, drank far too much rum and whiskey while watching that card and paid the iron price for it on the Monday and obviously had to record the show. I was suffering. I'm not going to lie. I was, I, it was a struggle to, to do anything. And yeah. Um, but yeah, last week's card was fucking unreal. Still, I'm still really, really buzzing off it really. Um, but yeah. But yeah, let's get down to the show. Um, massive shout out to JMA Radio as always. Um, massive hello and uh, big shout out to all the DJs this last couple of weeks as always. Doing an awesome job. Some amazing sets being played. Um, massive shout out to Timmy's Bar and Kitchen. Please go on the website. They've got a shop open so they've got all sorts of little bits and pieces you can buy with them. Um, obviously, if you're in the Carlisle area, look into it. Go get some nice food from those guys. Timmy's Bar and Kitchen, guys. Don't forget. But yeah, um, yeah, let's dive into it, man. Um, yeah, first subject today. Um, I seen a uh, shout out to our uh, funny MMA on Facebook and Instagram and all that, all that good stuff. They posted. Um, they often post little bits where you know it'll be um, historic events, etc., and say. Or so many years ago on this date, and it popped up um, that on uh, January 31st, it was the anniversary of uh, UFC 94. This this was one of those cards. Um, it was one of the it was from that era of MMA. Um, I, I, for me personally, my my probably favorite era is sort of the UFC maybe 60s to sort of. 110 around like in that era 
that was like really my my favorite, probably my favorite era. You know, you had your Chuck Liddell's, Tiwati's, Shogun Hua, Randy Couture. Yeah, it was it was epic. It was a real epic time for the sport, and it was massive. It was really getting. It was starting to get that mainstream appeal, in my opinion, and you had more people getting into it. I mean, like I said, this is 12 years ago, this event, but the main point I want to make about this event is it was one of those, we'd had super fights before in the sport, but this was one of those real, real super fights. It was one of those fights that everyone had a pick for this fight and a take on it. And the main event fight was George St. Pierre, who was the current um, welterweight champion who was taken on BJ Penn, who was the reigning lightweight champion at the time. And it, was, it had massive questions. They'd fought before. They'd fought, fought previously a few years uh, prior to this. Um, yeah, both guys were pretty much seen as probably... They were both probably seen as the two best guys in the world at that time, in the especially in the respective weight classes. And this was just one of those huge fights that everyone had a pick for it. There was a lot of what-ifs. You had Joe St. Pierre as this dominant uh, kickboxer, but real dominant wrestler. He was a guy who was just taking people down at will. He had great striking. He was just... Joe St. Pierre was, for me, the first super athlete in MMA. He wasn't well-rounded where he was good at everything. He was well-rounded where he was amazing at every aspect. He had amazing striking. He had amazing... Um, wrestling. He had a very high, um, high understanding of jiu-jitsu. And then you had BJ Penn, who had great boxing, tough as nails, amazing jiu-jitsu practitioner, had crazy flexibility on the ground and standing, um, great takedown defense. You know what I mean? It was a real, it, it was a real super fight. It really was. Um, this was one of those times where if BJ Penn had won this fight, he would have been the first true double champ in MMA. By this point in the sport, there'd only been two people in the in UFC who'd held two titles in two different weight classes. Um, I can't stress this enough, not at the same time though. You had Randy Couture, who'd held um, the light heavyweight championship and he'd held the heavyweight championship on separate occasions, and you had BJ Penn, who was the former welterweight champion, who then went on to leave the UFC, come back and win the lightweight title. So it was huge. It was a, it was a huge landmark. It was a really big fucking moment. Um, at this time, I, I think BJ Penn was a huge fan favourite. So was GSP. GSP was dominating. Uh, BJ Penn had returned to the UFC and just been putting a great run together. Um, yeah, it, it was a crazy one. Um, I genuinely didn't expect this fight to go the way it did um, at the time. It was it was a real... I figured... I figured... I always had George St. Pierre as a pick to win this fight, which he did. He, um, he TK... Well, he was actually a corner stoppage at the end of round four. Um, BJ Penn suffered a severe amount of ground punishment on this in this fight. I think it was one of those where what this fight proved at the time was also size dramatically mattered. Dramatically. George St. Pierre was five foot ten, um, probably cut down from around 190 pounds to meet the 170 level. And you had BJ Penn who was um, 155-pounder naturally going all the way up. I don't think BJ Penn for this fight even made 170 pounds. I think he, he weighed in at about 168. Joseph Pierre was cutting down from 190. It was a, there was a huge size differential in this fight. I believe BJ Penn isn't a short, short guy. He's probably 5'8", 5'9". Um, but GSP is 5'10", and heavily muscled. And this is how the fight went. It was Joseph Pierre used a real surgical... Powerful jab, set up some great takedowns, and despite BJ Penn's very high-level jiu-jitsu at that time, Joseph Pierre cut through his guard and punished him for it. 
and crushed him round after round after round. BJ Penn also faded as the fight went on, and George St. Pierre just looked better and better as the fight went on. And he, he, he put a nail in it, he really did. Um, yeah, I remember I remember watching this whole card with um, a couple of my friends, but um, yeah, mainly um, massive shout out to uh, Ryan Ray. Um, my friend Ryan, massive GSP fan. I remember watching it. I believe we watched it at his house. This event, um, yeah, it, it was one of those. It was one of those fights where it just. I think it. I think it stopped a lot of guys thinking they could jump up in weight. You had BJ Penny, who was the best lightweight in the world at that time, and looked like an absolute destroyer. Going, bear in mind, BJ Penny went up in weight before. He went up to welterweight and got the title off Matt Hughes before. You know what I mean? He he, he sort of like he hadn't done it before, but GSP was a different level of animal. He was a different level of athlete to the previous welterweight champions. He really was. George St. Pierre, when he came in, um, when he reclaimed the belt the second time around, just set a whole new benchmark for for MMA, in my opinion. He really did. He he was he came in and he was a super athlete. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah. Out. Look, looking back, I'm still a massive fan of BJ Penn. I really am. Looking back at his earlier career, I'm going to get on to where both men's careers led to after this fight. It was a huge pinnacle for both of them. Um, George St. Pierre now is is still considered one of the greatest of all time. <clears throat> I think it's a struggle. I think it's 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 harder to it's hard to argue against him being the greatest than it is. For him being the greatest, if you know what I mean, like it is hard. It is hard to argue with someone against why he's not the greatest of all time. It really is. Whether it be his fighting career, how he conducted himself, um, the performances put on, the people he's beat. Yeah, the man. The man is a class act at the worst of times, and just an absolutely incredible athlete and an incredible fighter. He really is. People have complained over the years about his um, grinding wrestling style, but it's quite a simple thing. If you're going into a fight with him, expect to get wrestled. So what do you do? Go and go and get some fucking wrestling training in. Quite frankly, um, but yeah, this is this. I remember this event so vividly. I really do. The whole event. Um, it was huge. It was such a big moment. Um, yeah, but. It sh- it showed us a lot. It really did. It explained a lot. I think nowadays the talent pools are so much, so much better, so much more advanced than they were then. That people have got away a lot more with going up in weight and all that. People are also cutting a lot more weight now. So the likes of your welterweight, middleweight, they're a lot bigger guys now than they were back then. A lot bigger guys in every weight class. Like the likes of BJ Penn, uh, on paper, was probably a featherweight to modern day standards. He really was back then. George St. Pierre, I think, I think, has always been a real, a really big welterweight, a mainstay welterweight. But BJ Penn, frame wise and, and in size, you know, I mean, this guy dominated at lightweight and I'd also. Has dominated people and knocked people out and, and submit beat people. Well, yeah, submitted people at welterweight. But there's only so far not, like there's only so far talent and skill will take you when the other guy is, if not as talented, if not more and bigger and stronger. It was it was that it was that proving ground that a guy with a similar <laughs> a similar skill level, but bigger and stronger and heavier made a massive, massive, massive difference. Um, in this fight, overall in this fight, the, the beating George St. Pierre put on BJ Penn over those over those four rounds was ex- it, it was excessive. It was extensive for that matter. Um, in between rounds of rounds four and five, BJ Penn's corner, I believe his brother actually threw the towel in. And it was Yeah, it was it was more more than yeah, it was the right thing to do. It really was. Um, I always remember at the end of that fourth round, George St. Pierre getting 
standing up off BJ Penn after pounding the daylights out of him and punching the corner of the octagon because he wanted he was trying to finish him and he wanted to finish. I'd never seen George St. Pierre get like that. Never. Also, a massive build-up to this fight was the build-up. BJ Penn saying that he was going to go to the death. He was going to try and kill George St. Pierre. There was a lot of, I wouldn't say hatred, but there was a lot of um, animosity. A lot of animosity going into this fight. BJ Penn talked the talk and really tried to, you know, get into George St. Pierre's head and I don't think you do that with George St. Pierre. I, don't, I just don't think uh, I don't think he's vulnerable in that way. He really isn't. But this is a fight. It's just one of them fights. It always stay. It always stays in my mind. It really does. It's just one of those real classic fights. I mean, both men. Um, looking at the careers after this fight. Um, I mean, going into this fight, you had uh, you had uh, George St. Pierre coming off a. Uh, Obviously, he lost the title to Matt Serra back in 2007 at UFC 69. He then went on to beat Matt, he then went on to beat Josh Koscheck, won the interim title off Matt Hughes. Then he beat Matt Serra in the rematch. He then decimated John Fitch. Um, then goes on to fight BJ Penn at UFC 94. Um, he then, after that fight, didn't get beat. He never. He didn't get beat like. George St. Pierre was undefeated from 2007 right up until he obviously uh, retired 10 years later. It's crazy. He beat So he beat BJ Penn. He then went on to... There's some absolute names in this list. Um, he then went on to fight at UFC 100 against... Um, at that point, uh, Thai boxing wrecking machine Tiago Alves. He then beat Dan Hardy. Beat Josh Koscheck again, then beat Jake Shields, Carlos Condit, Nick Diaz, Johnny Hendricks, and then came out of retirement after four years to then go on and beat Michael Bispin, who was the middleweight champion at the time. I mean, what a what a career highlight that is. This is it. Like at the end of the day, the guy. You look at the who's who that George St Pierre has beat. Bear in mind, he's only got two losses and avenged both of those losses as well. Dominantly as well. He didn't come back and decision a couple of... He dominated both his losses and has barely lost a round in his career. BJ Penn's career after this was a different story. Very much a different story in every way. Um, after the George St. Pierre loss, BJ Penn went on to fight Kenny Florian. It was a real lightweight standout. Uh, won by submission rear naked choke at UFC 101. Then he beat Diego Sanchez by Dr. Stoppage at UFC 107. BJ Penn then went on to fight future Hall of Famer um, Frankie the Answer Edgar. The first fight at UFC um, UFC 112, it was a very it was a close competitive fight with Frankie Edgar sneaking away the victory. They then rematched, and Frankie Edgar, quite frankly, just just dominated BJ Penn, just had, a, had an answer for everything. He really did. And it, that was when we seen, it was the passing of the torch. This was in uh, 2010. This was the passing of the torch to Frankie Edgar and the rest of the, those new, that next wave of lightweights coming through. It really was. I never thought Frankie Edgar would be BJ Penn. That's how much I completely rated and hung off BJ Penn at that point. And I, I liked Frankie Edgar, don't get me wrong. I liked the guy. I enjoyed his fights. I thought he was this scrappy little guy. Never thought he had the skill sets to beat the great BJ Penn. But he did twice. Uh, BJ Penn then goes and returns to the welterweight division. In which he knocks out Matt Hughes in 21 seconds. I remember seeing this and thinking, oh my god, BJ Penn is back. BJ Penn is going to go on an absolute fucking tear. He is going to go on an absolute tear. He's going to just dismantle everyone again. Great, he's back at it. How wrong I was. This would actually be 10 years ago, um, November 20th, 2010. BJ Penn knocks out Matt Hughes in 21 seconds. This would be his last win in the UFC. 
Um, it's a it's a real sad decline. Like, don't get me wrong. There's there's a handful of fights here that you sort of go at the time you were like, you know, there's no harm, no foul, and losing there. After this win, he would go on to fight former title contender John Fitch to a draw. Very interesting fight at the time. I remember thinking that was a really interesting fight. Um, he then went on to lose, um, I believe, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven fights on the belt over over a 10-year span. Um, after the John Fitch draw, he went on to fight Nick Diaz. Um, when it was Nick Diaz returned to the UFC from his strike force run, uh, lost a lost a really one sided, a real one sided uh, beat down to Nick Diaz. He then went and fought Rory McDonald, who was an absolute young and up and coming killer at that point. Um, that was in 2012. Got dominated in every sense on the feet, just decimated. He then went on to fight Frankie Edgar again two years later in 2014, and lost horrifically by TKO. And yeah. He then returned three years later to fight Yair Rodriguez, another young and up-and-coming talent who's who's very highly touted at featherweight, lost by TKO. Then went on to fight later that year against Dennis Seaver, lost a decision, um, returned in 2018 to fight Ryan Hall, lost by heel hook. With almost like an Imanari role. He then last fought last well, he last fought in twenty nineteen against uh legend all our legend and lightweight standout Clay Guida. That was the last time we seen BJ Penn fight. Um Yeah, it's a it's just it's just two different career avenues. It really is in every sense. Both of these this fight led on to something far different for both men's careers. It really did. Um, when you look at the difference there, Joe St. Pierre went on to be one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest of all time. BJ Penn didn't. BJ Penn, before that seven-fight streak, like, you know what? He, he was in there in the talks of greatest of all time. He really was. He was one of the greats. In my opinion, he still is. He still is for his, for his era and what he did, but... That that just run of that run of losses between you know twenty ten and twenty nineteen that nine year it's it's seven losses on the belt. I don't think anyone else has that many losses on the on the belt in the UFC. Most people are cut after three losses, four at a push. It's um yeah it, it's sad to look at. Um, like don't get me wrong, BJ Penn. His initial career within the UFC and, and out the UFC is absolutely incredible. It really is. This guy came into the UFC at a very young age and just looked like, just looked unbeatable. He just had this, nat he had a black belt in jiu-jitsu. He had this natural talent to brawl and knock out power in his hands. Just scary, man. He was just this scary guy who just, came in to fucking scrap in every way. You know what I mean? Um, crazy. It, it, and, yeah, this is a guy who's fought all the way up at, I believe he fought Lyot Machida at, um, at, like, an open weight bout. I think BJ weighed, like, 190. Machida weighed about 220 pounds for that fight. Uh, I think that was in K1 when he went to fight uh, K1, K1 MMA. It's crazy, man. It is fucking crazy. But, you know, hey, this, this sport is merciless to the best of them. But it is, it's a sad it's sad to see. I, I, I personally don't think they should have. I think after, after, he, after he lost to, even if he came back, even back in 2014 when he came back and he fought um, Frankie Edgar and got absolutely pummeled, that should have been the point. Of him just going, yeah, I'm done. But to let him come back four more times after that, and the Yair Rodriguez thing when he came back to fight Yair Rodriguez and lost, I was a bit like, that's expected. You've got this young up and coming dynamic striker going against a late 30s MMA veteran from back in the day. That was going to happen. But then to lose fights to the likes of Dennis Seaver and Clay Guida, 
Like, Clay Guida was up and coming back in the day. At, he actually fought in the same card as BJ Penn um, versus Joe Saint-Pierre. He was actually on the undercard, on the main card. At that time, if you put Clay Guida against BJ Penn in 2009, fuck me, BJ would have absolutely murdered him. But it just shows that 10 years later, it just shows the difference. It's, it's yeah, either way, I don't want to go on for too long, but it just shows the uh, the different avenues of both fighters, it really does. Joe St. Pierre, argue greatest of all time, BJ Penn's seven fight losing streak. He can't, oh, I don't know what more to say than that, but yeah. But either way, this, this main event was, like I say, it was one of the it was one of the crowd, like premier moments in MMA for me. It really was. Two of the greats going at it in the in the prime. One man in BJ Penn trying to be the first double champion in UFC. Failing, obviously, but yeah. Let's have a look at the rest of the card, though. Right? There's a lot of interesting faces on this card. It re there really is. Uh, the co-main event was Leo Machida versus Thiago Silva. Both men at this point were like 15 and 0. Undefeated winner of this was set to go on to fight um, for the light heavyweight championship. Both men had been looking like absolute killers, and yeah, awesome, awesome fight. Um, I was a huge fan of Thiago Silva at this point. Huge fan. Uh, I liked Machida. Don't get me wrong, but Machida slept Thiago Silva in the first round. I think we've like one second to go. Um, the main event and the co-main event on this card, I believe, were the only finishes on the entire event. Every other fight went to decision. There were some interesting names, though. Uh, like I said, you had Machida versus uh, Thiago Silva. Um, you had a young John Jones, up and coming, uh, fighting UFC veteran and all-round nut bar Stefan Bonner. Jones winning by decision. Uh, so we got to see this young up-and-coming version of John Jones, which is really interesting. I remember that in that fight, him landing a spinning back elbow, um, German suplexes, lateral throws. That was It was during this time that you started looking at John Jones as, oh, fuck, this guy could be the future. But, um, yeah, to see someone like John Jones on this epic card's amazing. You had uh, Carol Parisian versus Dong Young Kim. This was overturned as a draw. Uh, Carol Parisian actually won. But he then got popped for um, illegal painkillers on his drug test. Uh, th I remember this being a crazy fight because both guys were serious judo guys, real accomplished judokas. Um, then we had, opening the main card, we had two very fat, big fan favourites and famous famous names in the MMA community. We had Clay Guida against a very young Nate Diaz. Um, Clay Guida winning by decision. I remember this fight because Clay Guida pretty much backpacked just hung on to Nate Diaz the entire fight. Didn't really box with him, didn't strike with him, just hung on to him. Um, but yeah, so there's two more big names there. You had uh, John Fitch fighting pride legend Akihiro Gono. Um, John Fitch winning by decision. Uh, lightweight, we had Tiago Tavares against Manny Gamburian. Tiago Tavares taking decision. We had uh, John Howard. Um, Renowned, sort of, quite a well-known MMA fighter, fighting Chris Wilson. John Howard taking the decision win. Um, then we had Jake O'Brien against Christian Wellish. Jake O'Brien by decision. And we had Dan Kramer beating Matt Arroyo by decision as well. Really, yeah, crazy, man. Crazy how time flies. And a lot of these guys aren't around today, to be honest. They really aren't. Uh, Guida and Nate Diaz, obviously, still, still doing the rounds. John Jones, you've still got Machida. Thiago Silva, I believe, is fighting out in ACB in sort of Russia and Eastern Europe. Uh, Jocelyn Pierre's retired, obviously, BJ Penn, seven fight losing streak. John Fitch has just recently retired. Um, Thiago Tavares, I believe, is still fighting off the top of my head. John Howard, I believe, he's still fighting. Crazy, though. Um, but yeah, it's been, um, yeah, it's been really fun looking back at this sort of. This event, um, yeah, it's crazy. It really is. But uh, yeah, Joyce and Pierre, one of the greatest of all time. He really is. I can't say it enough. Um, 
I, I think anyone struggles not to like the guy. Yeah. But yeah, really interesting looking back on this card and the monumental moment that gave us George St. Pierre versus BJ Penn. Um, for basically, initially, the unification belts for both, a unification bout for both, uh, both weight classes. But really interesting, really enjoyed uh, sort of looking over this sort of stuff. It was really, really fun. Moving on today, I'm not going to lie, I'm going to have a rant. I'm going to have a fucking rant because I don't. I was in two minds whether to actually cover this subject. I really was. I was very much in two minds. And the subject is Jake Paul versus Ben Askren in boxing. Oh, I don't, right. Fuck my life. I don't even know where to fucking start with this. I really don't. Um, obviously, a lot of people know who Jake Paul is. Uh, all around gobshite, all around knobhead, um, just generally, he just he, not to judge another man, but he comes across as all an all round piece of shit. He really does. Now he's coming off a a big KO, big KO of a uh, Nate, Nate something basketball player. This is all a lack of a fuck I give about this, but um. Don't get me wrong, it was a fucking, it was a fucking brutal KO. Do not get me wrong, it was fucking stashed the guy, he really did. So then he starts mouthing off and saying how he's the new face of boxing and he's this, that and the other and he's, you know, then he starts calling out every fucker. He's called out everyone from Conor McGregor. In fairness, it was quite funny, after Conor McGregor's loss, Jake Paul went from offering him 50 mil to 10 grand. That was, I, I'm not going to lie, I, I, I thought that was funny. But otherwise, he called out Conor McGregor, Dylan Dennis. Who, Dylan Dennis is a knob as well, by the way. Don't get me wrong. Um, Michael Bispin. Like, one, how fucking dare you even mention Michael Bispin's name, you little cretin. How fucking dare you, you fucking knob. Um, who else? Uh, Nate Diaz. Called out Nate Diaz. And out of all these names he calls out, he then goes, and next thing you know, they've got a fight organised for him to fight Ben Askren. For those who don't know, Ben Askren um, retired from MMA. Ben Askren's the former Bellator champion, one one championship, one FC um, champion. Um, Unbelievably good wrestler. Like, very, very fucking good wrestler. Ben Askren has the stand-up of a fucking brick. If you watch any Ben Askren fight, I, honestly, I'll put it out there for anyone to challenge anyone. Find me a Ben Askren fight where uh, Ben Askren looked good stand up, like standing up. Like, t- find me some clips of him looking like he can strike. Jesus Christ, that man has some fucking god awful striking. And this is a sad fact. As much as this pains me to say, I think I think Ben Askren gets knocked the fuck out in this fight. I really do. I don't know, you never know. I would love, I would love nothing more than to watch Ben Askren go out and knock the fuck into Jake Paul. I'd love it. But what the fuck? My whole point of this, though, is what the fuck is going on? Like, this whole YouTube boxing thing, I don't know. Like, on one hand, I sort of have time for it because I'm like, you know what? It's getting people into combat sports. It's getting names thrown about. People are looking in. Obviously, people... Look into the likes of who a lot of these MMA fighters are that Jake Paul's calling out, and therefore probably make them go. And, it probably would make them go and watch MMA, which is, I think is cool as fuck. But at the same time, like my main point is like Jake Paul. It's quite a simple one. If he really wants, to, he's saying about how he could like you know the likes of people like Nate Diaz don't want to fight him. Dana White is probably saving you from yourself with that one. Someone like Nate Diaz would even in boxing would. Fuck you up. Um, Michael Bispin, retired MMA fighter, has one eye. In my, in my opinion, one of the greatest fighters who's ever lived. Would come out of retirement and fuck you up, Jake Paul. There is no two ways about it. You've went the easiest stretch of fighting a pro fighter that you fucking you could ever imagine. You're fighting st- just boxing against a guy who has no fucking boxing. Like... Oh, I fuck. I just, I fucking, I hate Jake Paul with a passion. There, you know what? I, 
I pray to God, I am praying to the MMA gods that Ben Askren goes in there and knocks that little blonde fuckwit the fuck out, like just starches him. But look, on one hand, like I sort of followed a bit of the whole KSI Logan Paul thing. I followed a bit of that because I thought like, it was entertaining. It was something different. I was like, it blew me. Hey, fucking all respect to them boys because they blew me away with the fact that you've got two YouTube stars who managed to do one of the biggest boxing pay-per-views of all time. Like, fuck, that's that's incredible, right? You've got to give credit where credit is due. But fuck me if Jake Paul isn't living in his brother's shadow with that shit. On top of that, we were meant to get Logan Paul, his brother, fighting Floyd fucking Mayweather. What the fuck is that about? That That's insane as well. The worst thing is, there's probably about a fucking 40 pound difference in weight between them two as well, which is, who, who the fuck's going to sanction that fight? Asia, that, that too, you go to Asia, let's be honest, you, you go out to Asia, like, China or Japan would sanction that fight in, without even fucking thinking about it, but yeah, it, it's crazy, like, but my, my point of this is, like, Jake Paul needs to shut the fuck up, like, calling out half these people, these MMA fighters, even, <laughs> even, even MMA fighters, have pretty damn good fucking boxing, and compared to him, like, there's a lot of these MMA fighters who will fuck him up, like, they really will, someone like Nate Diaz, who is literally a boxer with jiu-jitsu, will absolutely decimate him in every way, Michael Bispin, kickboxer, very good kickboxer, MMA fighter, MMA star, with one eye, will come out of retirement and fuck him up, but to be fighting Ben Askren, Jesus Christ. This is the funny thing, though. If Ben Askren beats him, oh, fuck me. What an absolute tail look. But, yeah, like it's not a big rant. It just, oh, my God. It just breaks my head a bit, that's all. I just don't like Jake Paul. I think he's an absolute knobhead in every sense. Um, Yeah, but he's he's went, he couldn't have went. Hey, I'll be honest. If Jake Paul fought Dylan Dennis, that I'd enjoy. Because I think they're both idiots. I think they're both fucking gobshites. And I think they're both dickheads. So, there we go. But yeah, that's my, um, yeah, that's my little rant on that. I just felt like, you know what? It's a combat sports podcast slash show. So, I think you've got to, you've got to, even in the subjects you don't like, I think you've got to cover them and look into them and, and give your take on them. I think you've got to. I feel like I have to anyways. So, it's not... It's not my usual material. I enjoy talking about, but it it needs it needs a little mention here and there, I suppose, doesn't it? So, yeah. Either way, my take on it is Jake Paul's a knobhead, and I hope he gets knocked the fuck out. That's the nicest way I can put it, really. But yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah. Moving on. Next subject I want to talk about. It's probably another. It's not another rant. It's just my take on it couple of things I've seen this week, um, obviously there's been quite a lot of media coverage of obviously UFC 257 and Conor McGregor's loss, and this isn't, this subject isn't for me to sort of get a boot in on Conor McGregor or anything like that, it's, it's the best way I can term it is, it's just to point out the utter delusion of John Kavanagh and Conor McGregor, and the fan base as well, not to, not to shit on the fans or anything like that, I don't want to do that. I just want to bring something to fruition with it. Um, for example, right, um, I seen an interview with John Kavanagh after two, UFC 257, in which him and McGregor both seem to be sort of pushing for this uh, trilogy fight with Dustin Poirier. Um, yeah, right. So in um, an interview with John Kavanagh, he pushed for. He, he's really mentioned this trilogy fight with Dustin and the delusional that's that's fair enough wanting to get a win get wait wanting to run it back and that yeah totally understand that I'm on board with it is it realistic fuck no it's Christ no no like you can't be one and two in the last like fucking five years and then decide you know after a, after getting decimated like that to then go you know, I want a rematch against the, the number one guy in the world, pretty much. Um, 
the delusion the, the delusion picked up even more fucking um, momentum when he said about putting a title on the line for it. So John Kavanagh wants a Dustin Poirier rematch for the trilogy fight with the title on it. Like he mentions that I think it was Ariel Hawani this week, and I literally had to stop and just go, "What the fuck are you talking about? Like what? What in what?" In what logical world do you fight? What you lose to Khabib, you come back and fight a, a fucking um, a, de- a, a degenerated cowboy at one seventy, and then you come back a year later, get absolutely fucking pasted by Dustin Poirier, and then go. But you know what? We want the rematch with the title on the line. What fucking world are you living in? Like in what in what what world? How how big do you think you are? That's my question. Conor McGregor still is one is probably the biggest draw and the biggest star in MMA. I am not denying that in any way, shape, or form. But there is only so much shit you can fucking pull. There really is. Like for me personally, I think to, to come out and and want that is so disrespectful to the rest of that division. Charles Oliveira is on an eight-fight fucking win streak and has fought people that Conor McGregor probably would have shit out and not fought. In fact, I'll give you two examples. Kevin Lee and Tony Ferguson, they're both horrific matches for Conor McGregor. Let's be honest, Conor dodged Tony back in the day. Let's be real, he fucking dodged him. Kevin Lee's an awful matchup in every way, shape and form. An awful matchup for Conor McGregor with his wrestling. Great wrestler, heavy, not a bad striker either. Um, you've got Justin Gaethje just coming off a title loss. You've then got someone like Michael Chandler even, who's came in first fight and knocked out someone like Dan Hooker, who is a mainstay in lightweight and one of the toughest guys in, in the UFC. And you think that from beating... Basically, an unranked guy, a weight class above, and then coming back, getting pasted, and then you go. Actually, we want the we want the trilogy fight with Dustin. You do you fancy do you fancy putting a putting a lightweight title on as well? Let's put the lightweight title on. It'll be huge. Fuck off. No, go win a fight. Go fucking get a streak going. Go fight. That whole division is stacked with talent. It is fucking stacked with talent. Go and beat a couple of those guys. Hell. You've got, even if you look at the top top end of that division, the 15 to 5, like, fucking hell. You've got the likes of Diego Ferreira in there, uh, Beniel Deriush. You've got Drew Dober. You've got Islam Makachev. You've got RDA. You've got, you know what I mean? I could keep fucking going. There's fights up there. McGregor's ranked at, what, like 5 at the moment or something like that, 5 or 6. So, yeah. Go fight, go fight your sevens, eight and nine. Then after that, when you fucking, when you've earned your fucking spot in that division, Conor McGregor, in my opinion, doesn't even deserve to be in that top ten. He really doesn't. He's beat absolutely fucking no one in there. Especially this Dustin fight should have knocked him out of that, out of that top fifteen. You know, I mean, these guys have all been scrambling and fucking scrapping with each other and trying to earn their spots for years, and you just fucking wander in and expect no, get fucked. Just the disrespect and disregard to the fans, disregard to the fighters of saying, we want the trilogy fight, and on top of that, we want a title on the line for it. No, you deluded fuck. You utterly deluded human being. Like, no, that's not how this fucking works, man. Like, um, yeah, like it's, it's a simple premise for, for McGregor. I gave my take on it last week. And there are three options for Conor McGregor right now. Three options once his leg heals in six months. You've got three fucking options, mate, and they're quite simple. You even fight Ferguson. That's 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 the one I want to see probably most. You fight RDA like you were going to years ago. That's your other option. Or the easier path, and it's not an easy path, but the easier option for you. Is fighting Nate Diaz in the trilogy fight. They're your options. You don't even get to 
you don't even get to even debate fighting Dustin Poirier. I wouldn't have even said you get to debate fighting the likes of Gaethje, Oliveira, or Chandler. It, no, it just doesn't work like that. And I've said it openly, I've said it openly before, I don't see McGregor beating anyone in that top 10. I just don't. I've said this for years. I've said this for years and years. That division is just, it's not even like it needed to catch up with McGregor, it, but it has very much went way past him. The skill sets in that division are high. It is the, the lightweight division is the Premier League division in MMA right now, in my opinion. The talent pool at 155 in the UFC, that is, in my opinion, the tightest division. Anyone in that top 10 on the right night could maybe take the title if Khabib's not around. Don't get me wrong. If Khabib is actually retired, then yeah, anyone in that top 10 could probably get that belt on the right night. They really could. If Khabib comes out of retirement, you're all you're all back to the it, it, it becomes, yeah, you're all you're all second place, sadly, but yeah. Another big delusion I've seen this week is fans' reactions to uh, McGregor's loss as well. This is it's been frustrating to watch. Um, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of toxicity in the MMA fan base. There really is. You've got to be realistic about that. Everyone thinks they know everything. Um, and you've got this demographic that support fighters almost like a football team or a basketball team where that's their team, that one fighter is their team, and there's no one more prolific for this than Conor McGregor fans. Like, I've watched a handful of comments this week. I've, I've seen people reacting to the loss. And the, some of the best ones have been saying, well, he didn't get knocked out, his leg gave way. Yeah, yeah. The 10 punches he took to the face had nothing to do with him going unconscious on the ground. It was his calf. Be real, man. Like, look, McGregor is not... I've said this for a long time, McGregor is not the fucking, he's not the second coming of Christ, he's really not. The man has had a fantastic career, but he's not unbeatable, he's not unbreakable. And that mystique, that aura, is long gone, in my opinion. Long gone. I think Khabib knocked that out of him. Khabib showed the world that this man is not who you think he is. It's, um... Yeah, it's it's quite a tough one. It really is. It's hard to read some comments and and online and even watching videos of fans reacting to it and not just thinking you fucking idiots. Take it like take the loss properly. Yeah. Like accept it. Your boy got beat. You got fucking outdone. You got peppered. You got fucking dismantled. You really did. Um, I watched that. Uh, oh, True Geordie. That was that was my. That was my, uh, I, I've, I've watched a few of, uh, for those who know who he is, uh, True George, you probably do, YouTuber, like, I, I've liked quite a lot of stuff he's done in the past, but when it comes to MMA, I get really fucking annoyed by him, because he comes out with the most blatant, obvious comments, and um, you know what I mean, either way, he's a massive McGregor fan, but that man's soon jumped ship. He's, he's actually one who's completely jumped ship in every way. He's went from saying how McGregor's the greatest thing that's ever happened to all of a sudden he's saying similar things to me that he's like, oh, he's not the same, his aura's gone and all that. Look, if you're a massive McGregor fan, support your boy by all means but be, and be realistic like you are, but he just sounds like he's just completely turned on him now. Either way, some of the fan reactions, though, have just been ridiculous, man. Like, saying it wasn't... It wasn't the boxing that took him out. It was his leg gave way. No, he got he got slowed down. He got pinned against the cage, and he got unloaded on in every sense. He got outstruck. Poirier is a fucking killer in every sense. Dustin Poirier is not to be fucked with. That whole division know this. Why the fuck didn't Conor McGregor? And why don't you just to the fan base? Conor McGregor fans just accept the loss, man. And to be pushing for a rematch, no, it's not how it works. It was the same with I'd seen someone else say about how comparing this loss to the Nate Diaz loss. Like, no, it's a different time, it's a different era. This wasn't this wasn't someone this wasn't McGregor gassing, getting outworked and then giving away the sub. No disrespect to Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz pasted him in that fight, in that second round, he really did. 
But this was just a one-sided fucking beating. And Dustin Poirier was swinging the hammer. It really, you know what I mean? Hey, I don't want to sit here and just go off on a rant and bitch about it and that, nothing like that. I'm not, I'm not aiming for that. But it's more just a delusion, delusion of the Conor McGregor camp. Whether it be McGregor wanting the rematch with Dustin after getting that, getting dismantled the way he did. This wasn't a fluke loss. This was a, a one-sided pasted. It wasn't a fluke. It was. This is. It, I think McGregor played it off as some fluke, like, you know, you could sort of, you could, you know, you could see where he was coming from with the Nate loss, because Nate was never meant to beat him, Nate was meant to be a sacrificial lamb in that, in that fight, and to the un, untrained MMA fan, that's what, how they seen it, I knew Nate, I knew Nate was going to beat him in the first fight, I think Nate beat him in the second, to be honest, but, yeah, he, the MMA community can't look on this as the same way they looked on the Nate Diaz fight. It's a different animal. It's a different situation. It's a different thing altogether. But yeah, either way, um, yeah, I think John Kavanagh needs to wake the fuck up and realise it's not 2015. McGregor is not the greatest of all time and he sure as fuck doesn't deserve to get in there with Poirier again and especially not for a title. Like, shut the fuck up. Like, seriously, like, Seriously, just go away, have a think about what you've just said. Because everyone who listened to that interview is now dumber for listening to it. But yeah, and on that note, um, yeah, I'm going to call it a day. Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the show as much as I have. Really enjoyed today's show. Looking back at UFC 94 was amazing. Um, talking about how much of a knobhead Jake Paul was. feel like that's some form of... Uh, yeah, I feel like it was like some form of counselling got that off my chest. And yeah, talking about the delusion of the McGregor camps been really good as well. Really enjoyed talking about that. Um, yeah, it was really three really good subjects this week. It's been nice. Uh, yeah, guys, uh, as always, thank you to JMA Radio, JMA Occasions. Uh, massive shout out to Timmy's Bar and Kitchen, as always. Uh, shout out to everyone else who's been listening today. Uh, massive thank you to everyone who listens each week. Um, it was funny actually. Um, Junior B, uh, um, DJB, showed showed me a handful of sort of countries that have been listening to my show over various platforms, and we had all sorts. There's all sorts of countries that are, are listening into this. So yeah, whichever country you're in, hope you're keeping all right. I hope you're well. Thank you so much for taking time out and listening to this show, everyone. I really appreciate it. I love doing this each week. Um, yeah, thanks to everyone. Who listens listens week in week out even if you just catch the odd show still appreciate it man it's it's cool uh but yeah everyone look after yourselves take care um yeah and call it a day thank you all so much see you later guys Bye.